Back with another edition of the Employment Hour. Contact anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmenthour.com. We will very shortly get to the severance pay calculator, a tool that over 500,000 people have used and had their uh, their eyes opened up, like we always say. First, buddy, we always get to the, uh, the week that was. What is going on in your world? Well, you know, my world keeps being busy, which is exactly the way I like it. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great honor and a privilege to be able to speak to as many people as possible about their workplace rights and to inform them and educate them and, and hopefully solve some problems. Uh, you know, oftentimes I get home and I, uh, I know that I've helped some people and I've uh, solved some of those issues. That, that's a good feeling. So if you're dealing with a workplace problem, we're going to give you a lot of information on this show right now in terms of how to solve them and, and how to get more information, how to get help. And of course, if you, we haven't touched on your situation specifically, or if you want to talk to me, call me. We'll give you my number a bunch of times throughout the show. We'll give you my email address. It's always, always so easy to reach out. Don't be bashful. There's almost always a solution to your workplace problem. Mm. Happy to talk. That's what I do. It's my job. So uh, we'll always uh, look forward to that. And the week that was, I want to chat, uh, chat briefly about a couple of situations that I saw over the past uh, few days. Uh, first situation, I spoke with a gentleman that worked in the construction industry. He was a carpenter, and he worked uh, for the same company for a, a few years, had a steady job, actually quite a well-paying job, but recently got into a bit of a argument, a bit of a shouting match, I guess, with a supervisor. And at the end of that, he got the call from the owner of the company saying, I'm firing you for cause. I'm not paying you anything. Uh, you're out of here. And he called me very upset and he wanted to know what does this mean and can they do that? And of course, does he have any rights? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing, John. Obviously, getting into a shouting match with anyone at work is not a good thing, supervisor or not. It's just not a good thing. But the real question is not if it's a good thing. The question is, is that cause for right. termination? Is it bad enough to rise to the level of cause? And, and the short answer is it's not. Unless it's a nasty situation where you're threatening violence, if it's one of those things, people lose their temper, it's not actually that big a deal, which means it's not a termination for cause. So the question then becomes, okay, they, they jumped the gun. They said that they had cause when they didn't, which is very common. The real question is, what is he owed? Well, here's the, another misconception. A lot of people believe, wouldn't surprise me if his employer believed, that because he was in construction, he doesn't get severance. Wrong. He absolutely gets severance, even if you're in construction. Not only that, you get the same amount of severance as anyone else, based on your age, position, and length of employment. I assess this guy being owed as much as a year's pay, one year's pay. So uh, I wanted to bring this up, number one, as a reminder that cause is very difficult to establish and you uh, screwing up and, and doing something you're not supposed to in and of itself is not enough to be cause. And of course, as a reminder also that even if you're in construction, guess what? You get severance if you lost your job. Would this guy have had to keep yelling and berating people? Like when, when That behavior, when does it rise to cause or does it? Well, yeah, certainly one incident, unless is it's completely nasty, is not caused. Right. Now, if he was threatening violence and said, I'm going to go get a gun and shoot people, I mean, if it t to that point, yes, it's caused because it now becomes a safety issue uh, and, and it crosses the line. Now, if, if this was one of uh, five incidents where they've warned him before, they told him you got to control your temper, you can't yell at people, and he keeps doing it and he keeps doing it, well, at some point, the company's going to say, well, what more can we do with this guy? We're going to let him go. But this was an isolated incident, and an isolated incident is almost never caused company jumped the gun, and there's going to be a lot of severance that they owe him about a year's pay. Again, one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com to reach out, get a hold of Lior, member of the team as well. Uh, what else you got happening? 
So, John, second matter, I, I spoke with uh, a lady who was in a very difficult situation. Unfortunately, she was diagnosed uh, with cancer uh, about six months ago, and she was uh, obviously off work, recovering, fortunately doing somewhat better and an and optimistic prognosis. Uh, but the other unfortunate thing that happened to her is her employer decided to close the office that she worked in. And there's about 10 people working in that office, and all those people were let go, and including her. For her, that this happened while she was off on a medical leave. And she called me and she wanted to know, what does this mean? I'm, I'm very concerned about finding another job because I'm still recovering from cancer. I'm still not able to work. It's going to be uh, some time before I'm, I'm even able to go out there and look for a job. So here's what this means, John. If you're actually uh, let go uh, because... If you're let go because you're on a medical condition, that's illegal. But that's not what happened here. She was let go for legitimate reasons. But if you're unable to work when you're let go, that means you actually are getting enhanced or should be getting enhanced severance because you can't find another job right away. So she had worked there for four years. Usually I would assess her as being owed six months severance. But given her full situation that she's facing, including her medical condition, she probably is owed closer to 10 to 12 months of severance, even after only four years of employment. Now, she was offered three months of severance. So again, that's a heck of a lot less than what she's owed. So I wanted a reminder to, to everyone listening that if you're losing your job, if, or if you lost your job and you can't work, you have a medical condition, not only do you get severance, that's a given, but you actually are owed enhanced severance because you're not able to just uh, roll up your sleeves and get to work to find another job, again, because you're sick. Since we're on the point of severance, before we uh, we take a short break, severancepaycalculator.com, love this tool. Everybody in Canada should know about this by now. <laughs> everybody in Canada, everybody that has a job, uh, employers and employees need to know that severancepaycalculator.com is the easiest, most straightforward way to find out how much you're owed if you lost your job. It's anonymous. It's free. You simply go to severancepaycalculator.com. You answer three simple questions and you are done. Anyone can use it. And if you lost your job, if you're staring at these papers uh, that say, here's what we're offering you and here's what you have to sign and you're wondering, mm -hmm. uh, which most people would, is this right? Should I get more? Very simple. Don't wonder anymore. Pick up your smartphone, go to severancepaycalculator.com, find out, uh, and don't ever let anyone tell you that you're getting or should be getting less than what you're actually owed. Want to get into some emails, and we'll talk about uh, non-competition or non-competes when it comes to those obligations. As we uh, continue here, short break, one 821 5900 and help at employmenthour.com. Lots more Employment Hours on the way on Global News Radio. Contact is simple, 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmenthour.com. Want to uh, dive into the topic for the week and people, uh, you know, when they when they phone the radio show and I know they call you at the office, they often have something in their employment contract called a non-competition or non-compete, an obligation. Uh, we talk about them all the time. What do they mean? So a non-competition obligation is an obligation that usually uh, is created by an employment agreement uh, or other uh, job offer document that stipulates that if the employee ever leaves the company, whether they quit or let go, they cannot work for a competitor. Now, usually that would say for uh, what period of time? Six months, right. 12 months, uh, 18 months, whatever it is. And also the, uh, the scope of the obligation. So you can't work for a competitor anywhere in Ontario, anywhere in Canada, uh, anywhere in the world. So it's an obligation, what we call a restrictive covenant. It's an obligation that follows you after employment comes to an end. And if you think about it, John, uh, if you're signed a non-competition obligation and you've worked in one industry for a long period of time and you can't continue working in that industry for the next year and a half, that's a big deal. 
You know, and, and you know, I'm a lawyer. If I can't work as a lawyer for 18 months, that's going to be a huge problem for me because that's what I do. I don't right. know what else I could do. So, so that's why we want to talk about this topic here: how to deal with these non-competition obligations, the legality of them, and, and what to do if you're ever in a situation when you have an opportunity and you're worried about breaching that non-competition obligation. What you do about it? Generally speaking, how often do you uh, do you see them contained in employment agreements? Well, you know, it's uh, it's actually quite common. It's certainly common for more senior level positions. Right. It's actually quite rare for me not to see them for people in the senior position. Now, if, if you're looking at an entry-level kind of minimum wage job, you're almost never going to see a non-competition obligation. The company is not going to be overly concerned. But if you're looking for the type of kind of a full-time professional level of position, uh, either managerial or, or anything else of that nature, you'll see that very, very, very often. So most people in those roles, when you accept an offer, you have a pretty darn good chance that in that offer there's going to be a non-competition obligation mm -hmm. and you always have to understand what you're signing, what you're agreeing to because if you don't care now, trust me, you'll care later. Next question, I guess, obviously when it comes to non-competes is how enforceable are they? Are, are they actually enforceable? Well, that is really the, the heart of this, uh, the, the enforceability of a non-competition obligation. So let's be very, very clear about this. For most people, John, most people, the vast majority of people, a non-competition obligation is not enforceable. Well. It's not. Why? The law simply makes it very clear that we don't like things that make it difficult or make it impossible for people to earn a living. Uh, you know, everyone has a right to a job. So if you're going to impose an obligation on someone uh, that says they can't support their family, they can't earn a living, that's not going to be enforceable. It's against public policy. So for most people, it's not enforceable. There's exceptions. In some situations, it is enforceable. Usually that would be for people in very senior positions, executives, you know, your VPs, your presidents, your, your chairmen. Something started with a C, a CEO or COO or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? CFO, yeah. those guys, yeah. it's more likely. It's not automatic. Mm -hmm. In other words, there has to be a very good reason to enforce those non-competition obligations. So if you're in a type of role and if you uh, uh, go and work for a competitor, if it's going to hurt the company significantly if you did that, well, then they may, there's a good chance that it would be enforceable. But that only is apply, that usually would only apply to very senior positions. So your run-of-the-mill job, you know, if I'm a, uh, a marketing uh, manager uh, and, you know, I, I uh, lose my job and I have a non-compete, in most of those cases, right. that's not going to be enforceable, irrespective of what I actually signed. So those people that are what we call fiduciaries, where they have such senior positions that they have significant obligations to their employer, they may be bound by non-competition obligations. Most people otherwise will not be. It's kind of, it, it sounds like more where the company or the workplace has more to lose by losing that person or them skipping, you know, skipping over to another place, right? Yeah, exactly. There has to be a reason. If right. you're going to hurt the business significantly by going to work for someone else, then, and, and if you sign a non-competition agreement, well, then, yes, your old company may be able to enforce it. If you did not, if you cannot hurt that business, it's not going to impact that business that much, then it would be against public policy for us to tell you that you cannot work somewhere uh, and the law doesn't allow for that. Any other uh, situations where it's going to actually be enforceable? Well, it's, it may be enforceable in other situations. For example, if you've sold a business uh, and you agree as part of the sale that you're not going to compete with that business that right. you've, yeah, that yeah, you've yeah. just sold, that may be enforceable. Uh, so senior positions, sale of a business, in almost every other scenario, John, for 95% of the people, 
it's not going to be enforceable. Uh, and, and most people are going to think, well, if it's not enforceable, then we don't care. If it's not enforceable, then we don't, uh, uh, we're going to ignore it. And we're going to talk coming up about why you shouldn't ignore these things, even if it's not enforceable. But the short answer is no. You, if you signed it, Unless you're in a very senior position, unless you sold the business, you probably are not going to be bound by a non-compete. one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com. And always check before you sign anything, especially that severance offer, severancepaycalculator.com. Lots more employment hours on the way. Stand by. We'll get to it right here on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 and help at employmenthour.com is the email to get a hold of Lior, member of the team, anytime, right inbound, keeping you. You never know when you're going to either use it or uh, yourself or pass it on to a friend or family member just the same. Talking about non-competition obligations, so we established that it's generally senior positions, fiduciaries, that this uh, this comes out and is more enforceable. So other people might say, eh, you said it's not uh, generally enforceable. Can I ignore it? So th- that's exactly what a lot of people think. Say, well, okay, it's not enforceable, and some people may even be able to go online and, and do some research and mm-hmm. find out, no, no. For most people, non-competition obligations are not enforceable. So great, we don't care about it. We'll go work wherever we want because I heard on the radio that it's not enforceable. Well, not so fast. The question, the real question is not, is it enforceable? The real question should be, is your previous company going to try to enforce it? That's the question. Because guess what? If they try to enforce it, they're going to take legal action against you it's going to be miserable. It's going to cost you a lot of money. And you know what? At the end of that three-year process and after spending tens of thousands of legal fees, you're going to win. But, but. it's going to be a pretty hollow victory because your life is going to be very, very miserable. And uh, so the real question is, are they going to try to enforce it? Now, why would a company try to enforce an otherwise unenforceable non-competition obligation? Well, there's a few reasons. One of them could be the fact that they actually want to try to enforce it. They may believe that they can. But another reason may be that they want to send a message. They want to send a message to their other employees that this is what happens if you leave us and go work for a competitor. So don't even try it. So you don't want to be made an example out of. So no, the real question is not, John, whether or not uh, it's going to be enforceable. The question is, are they going to try? And if they're going to try, that's a huge problem. So what does this all mean? To me, it means that if you sign it, you have to live with it. You can't ignore it. You can't say it's unenforceable, so I don't care, because once there's legal action against you, you will care. So we take non-competition obligations very, very seriously. doesn't matter if they're enforceable or not. If we think that the company may try to enforce it against us, that they're going to take legal action against us, we have to tread very carefully and take it seriously. So I'm hearing this as someone who has signed a non-compete, but I got a juicy offer or there's a job on the horizon that I would really like to, uh, to flip over to. What are my obligations? What do I do? Well, How do so, I get out of it, in other words? Yeah, so you may not actually be able to get out of it in the sense that your old company may try to enforce it. Now, depending on who your uh, old company is, how reasonable they are, they may not try to enforce it, or the better approach may be to have an open and honest discussion mm-hmm. with them and say, here's the opportunity that I have. I want to take that. I know I have this non-compete, but I'm hoping you guys will be reasonable. Uh, I've always been a good employee, and I want to develop my career. I am not going to steal your clients. I am not going to reveal your secrets. I just want to be working there. Most reasonable employers, if you approach them that way, 
are going to look at it positively and, and work out an arrangement where they're not going to try to enforce it against you. So to me, that is the best approach. Most people that are bound by non-competition obligations may also be bound by non-solicitation obligations, which means you can't go after clients. Yep. So remind the company, I'm not going to hurt your business. I'm not going to go after your clients. Uh, but please, please don't enforce that non-competition obligation against me. So that is the best approach. The other thing you want to do is if you're going to accept a job offer and you are bound by non-competition, tell your new employer, make them aware. Just, just so you know, company, I did sign a non-compete with my previous company. The reason for that is if they're not aware and later on it turns out that uh, you knew about it, didn't tell them, and they're involved now in legal action, yeah, that's not going to be good for you. You may lose your job. So I would be very honest with the prospective employer. Uh, let them understand that. Let them know if they're willing to accept the level of risk. But this all goes back to my earlier point, is if you sign a non-competition obligation, you have to take it seriously. If you sign it, you have to live with it. If you don't, if you're going to ignore it, there's potential for legal action against you. doesn't matter if you win or lose. So be honest with the company that you, you've accepted a job from. Be honest with the company that you've left. And, and in most cases, people will, will be reasonable with you if you're being honest. From the employer's uh, perspective, the company's perspective, what can they do to protect itself from losing to competitors? Can they do anything? Well, uh, obviously, non-competition obligations can be used, but again, not enforceable. So what I instead recommend to my employer clients is let's have very strong non-solicitation language. Let's have very strong confidentiality language. So that we know that if someone does leave, they can't go after our clients, they can't go after our customers, they can't go after our other employees, right. and they have to maintain all confidential information in, in confidence. That's really what a company should care about. They should care about not losing business. So, so unlike a non-competition obligation, a non-solicitation obligation is actually enforceable. So use it. Uh, and, and if you are going to use a non-competition obligation, be reasonable. Don't say that you can't work for two years anywhere in the world. <laughs> be reasonable. Say maybe you can't work for six months within this vicinity, within right. 10 kilometers of our office. Or this market or whatever. Um, exactly. Yeah. Be, the more reasonable the non-competition obligation is, the more likely it is to be enforceable. So use a reasonable non-competition obligation. Use very strong confidentiality and non-solicitation obligations. That is the best way for an employer to protect itself uh, from being hurt by a departing employee. Now, if you're an employee and you go to said job, they say, okay, we'll let you go. And then all of your clients come to you. They leave that company you're with because they like you. That's different. It is different. Usually when it comes to solicitation, the question is who went after who? Right. Who made that first move? So if I go to a company and I go to my old clients and say, hey, guess what? I'm with this company now. You should come join me. Then I've solicited them. And so I may have done something wrong there. I'm not allowed to do that. On the other hand, if they say, hey, Lior, I heard you're with this company now. I want to continue working with you. Well, then I haven't done anything wrong. They came to me. I, can't, I don't have to tell them, no, I'm not going to do work with you anymore. Right. So that's fine. So oftentimes solicitation comes down to who made that first move. And you always, always want to have a record. If someone's going to contact you, have a record, an email, something confirming that you didn't go after you them. Bet. Because if you're ever challenged, you want to be able to show, oh, no, I didn't do anything wrong. They came to me. So everything is fine. one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com. We'll get into reprisals. If you don't know what that word means in the workplace, we will clear it up for you and get to some emails as well. Lots more Employment Hour on the way on Global News Radio. 
1-855-821-5900. That is the number you need to write down and keep with you. Get a hold of uh, Lior and the rest of the crew at the firm or simply help at employmenthour.com. A word we often throw around here on this show and, of course, Employment Hour and 30, the TV show, is reprisals. What is it? So a reprisal is a situation where an employer punishes an employee for the employee pursuing or asking about their legal rights. So if you're asking or trying to enforce a legal right that you have, maybe it's overtime, vacation pay, we'll get into some examples. And because of because you had the audacity to do that, you get <laughs> fired or you get penalized or suspended. That's a reprisal. That's something an employer is not allowed to do because our legal system encourages people to ask questions about their legal rights, to enforce those rights, to not be afraid to stand up for those rights. So the law makes it clear that employer, doesn't matter what the employee is trying to enforce. If you punish them for doing that, that is a reprisal. That is something that's illegal and there's going to be penalties. There's going to be fines for an employer that punishes an employee when the employee is only trying to enforce what's theirs. Okay, you did mention examples. Give me some. So an example could be anything really that has to do with with an employee's rights. Common is overtime. So maybe I feel that I should be getting paid overtime and I am not. So I'm going to ask for my overtime or I feel that I'm not getting my statutory holiday pay, uh, paid correctly, uh, and I ask questions about that. That is illegal. That's a reprisal if I get fired because of that. I have a right to ask those questions. I have a right to enforce. I have a right to challenge my employer if they do something or I believe that they're doing something right. So any, anything to do with hours of work, vacation, overtime, those things, if you get punished because of them, is a reprisal. There's other aspects as well. For example, if you're asking for uh, an accommodation, maybe uh, for medical reasons, you need an accommodation, your employer punishes you because of that, that could be a reprisal. That's illegal. If you're complaining about safety in the workplace, maybe you're, you're, you don't want to do the, the job they've asked you to do because it's unsafe. And because you raise that on safety or that safety concern, they punish you, they let you go, they threaten you. That's a reprisal. When it comes to workplace safety, there's no uh, wiggle room. You have a right to refuse unsafe work. So whenever you have a right in the workplace that you either are asking about, trying to enforce that right, and you get punished, that's a reprisal. Again, when we talk about reprisal, that's something that's illegal. How about in a, a, now a non-union setting and... Uh You've done something or you haven't and they've, they've decided to suspend you pending an investigation and they don't pay you during that suspension. A paid or unpaid suspension for most people is, uh, is not allowed. Okay, yeah. uh, An employer as a disciplinary measure in some situations is allowed to suspend with pay. An unpaid suspension, unless there's an employment agreement that gives the power to do that, is illegal. So if you've been suspended without pay, that could be considered a termination, a constructive dismissal. You may be able to treat your hmm. employment as being at an end. So for most employers, again, in the non-union setting, because it's different in, in the union setting, in the non-union setting, in an unpaid suspension should not be part of the disciplinary repertoire and employers not allowed to impose Because you're already being punished. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you, you can't be suspended and paid for to determine if you should be punished. It's improper. Right. Uh, reprisals. Comp- uh, uh, so you think you may be owed something. Um, can an employer be punished for asking something and it turns out that that employee was wrong? Yeah. So And, and it's a very good question. And, the, and some employers may say, well, he asked for overtime and he was demanding overtime, but we showed why overtime was not owed. So because he was wrong to ask, can we punish him now? Yeah. No, no, no. 
it doesn't matter whether the, the request was uh, completely correct. If I believe that I'm owed overtime and I'm, I'm demanding it and you show me why I'm wrong, that's fine. You don't have to pay me overtime, but you can't punish me for asking the question. Why? Because the whole point is we want to encourage people to ask the question, to enforce their legal rights, to, to become educated. And we can't mm -hmm. do that if people are going to be concerned. Hey, if I get this wrong, I can be punished. No, a reprisal happens even if you are wrong. A reprisal happens even if the things you've demanded are not something that you're owed. Maybe you feel you should be getting overtime if you work more than 35 hours a week. That's probably not the case. But if you believe that's the case and you ask for it, yeah, your employer can show you why they don't have to pay you, but they can't say, well, because you had the audacity to demand that overtime, we're not going to give you hours anymore. Right. That's a reprisal. You can't do that. So you should always be empowered and feel the right to ask the questions, to demand answers. And if you don't get them and if you get punished instead, that's illegal. If that employee feels like they've been punished for standing up for those legal rights, what's their recourse? Well, uh, obviously, if, uh, if you're facing a reprisal uh, and, and you can show that you've been punished, there's a number of avenues that are available to you. Number one is the Ministry of Labor can, can punish uh, an employer. The, the unfortunate thing is what the Ministry of Labor can do is they can fine uh, mm -hmm. the employer, make the employer pay a fine, but that doesn't help you, the employee. You don't no. really get anything out of it. But that is something that the, the um, you can do. The other thing you may be able to do is if you're facing a reprisal, the fact that you faced a reprisal could be a constructive dismissal. The employer did something so wrong by punishing you that you may be able to treat your employment as being terminated and pursue your severance. So you don't actually have to continue working in that situation for, for the employer that, that did what they did. So one of the things I always say is if you're facing that situation before you quit, before you do anything, before you call the Ministry of Labor, mm -hmm. give me a call. Let's talk about that. Let's understand what actually happened. Let's understand if it was a real reprisal. And if it is, yes, you may be able to get the company fined if that's what you want, but you also may be able to, to get some compensation for yourself. And if you want to move forward and leave and get, go to another job because that would be a constructive dismissal. Comes out to reaching out. That's what it comes down to. 1-855-821-5900. That's a good place to start. There's also help at employmenthour.com. We'll bounce over to some of your emails as we continue on here with the, uh, the last couple segments of the Employment Hour right here on Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmenthour.com. If you're ever wondering what your severance should be as far as a dollar amount and your particular situation, either real life or just want to know for matter of fact, severancepaycalculator.com uh, as well. Emails, we'll get into them. Bill, first one up. Bill says, uh, my employer found out that I lied on my resume when I applied for the job. I was fired on the spot and I've not been paid any severance. Am I owed anything? I've actually seen this situation a number of times over the years where uh, the employee maybe embellishes a bit on the resume, maybe puts information that's not completely correct, and at some point the new employer finds out about it, obviously gets upset and say, well, you lied, so uh, we're going to let you go. And I can understand that from the employer's perspective, but the fact that the employee lied, quote-unquote, on the resume does not necessarily mean that automatically that's cause for termination. Remember, John, Cause is only a situation where the employee did something so bad, so wrong, that it's very difficult, almost impossible to continue employing them. It's reserved for the worst offenders. So it really comes down to what he lied about. If he said that he worked for a company for six years when he worked there for five and a half, as an example, that's probably not a big deal. On the other hand, if he said that he was uh, the senior manager, but he was really working on the assembly line, well, that's a big deal. Or if he said he had a certain degree when he doesn't have that right. degree, that is a big deal. If it was fundamental to the decision to hire him, 
and it turns out to be false, well, yeah, then the, the whole hiring was under false pretenses. So that may be cause, that may be a reason to let him go. So I would want to know what he lied about, how big a deal it was. Uh, and also, I would also want to know how long has it been since, in fact, he got hired. If he just got hired and the company found out about it, potentially it's easier to let him go for cause than if he was hired 20 years ago and he lied 20 years ago. That's a good point. Well, yeah. you know, it, it may not matter so much now. So the devil's in the details. I would want to know more information. But again, lying, never a good thing. Let's be very clear. Right. Never a good thing ever, ever, ever. But it does not necessarily mean that lying results in the ability for the company to let you go for cause. Again, for employers, I guess due diligence, due diligence, due diligence when it comes to hiring, right? Some stuff you're not going to be able to find out, but do the best you yeah, can. Yeah, do, right? do your homework, know yeah. who you're hiring, uh, check references. All that is very important. Uh, and, and, you know, if, don't leave anything to chance. That's a very good advice. Help at employmenthour.com is the email. Danielle says, I quit my job because my employer owed me $4,000 in ho uh, holiday pay and vacation pay, and he refused to pay. I asked for payment many times, and he always promised that he would pay, but never did. Is there something that I can do to get what he owes me? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's very simple. If, in fact, the amounts are owed, then, yeah, you can, you can get that. You know, it's, it's simple. If someone owes you money, they have to pay the money. The law doesn't give any breaks here. Now, the, but it's more than that. The fact that uh, someone or your employer doesn't pay you gives you additional rights. The most basic concept in employment law and work is I come to work, you pay me what you owe me. Mm -hmm. And I go home and we can repeat that the next day. That's it. So if I go to work and you don't pay me for my work, well, guess what? That's a breach of the agreement. That's the breach of the most basic obligation that an employer has. So what does that mean? That means she could uh, treat that as a termination of employment, uh, a constructive dismissal. It's, the, it's very basic. Right. So not only could she get the $4,000 owed to her, very simple, she actually may be able to pursue this as a, as a termination, even though she's leaving, and get her full severance. I want to make it very clear here. Uh, if your employer owes you something and refuses to pay, gives you the runaround, excuses, delays, uh, only partial payment, whether it's wages or overtime or vacation pay, that failure, that refusal to pay you is a fundamental breach of the terms of employment in most cases, which means you could, be, you, you could potentially treat that as a constructive dismissal and get your severance. Remember, you can go to the Ministry of Labor if you're owed money. You can go to the Ministry of Labor if you're owed wages or vacation pay. But if you're going to treat something as a constructive dismissal, if you're going to get your severance, if, you're gonna, if you lost your job for that, you cannot go to the Ministry of Labor. So in most cases, you need to call me. You need to get some legal advice so we can pursue what you're owed. Start that phone call, 1-855-821-5900. Email is what we're going through for the remainder of the show. That is help at employmenthour.com. Natalie, next up, writes in and says, I've been on a disability leave for six months. My employer is putting pressure on me to return to work and that they can't keep my job any longer. I'm afraid that if I don't return, I won't have a job there any longer. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah, I absolutely do uh, for Natalie. And, and my advice is quite simple. Do what your doctor tells you. It's as simple as that. If your doctor says and you feel that you cannot work, you're not going back to work. Doesn't matter what the company says, doesn't matter anything. Because if you're gonna go back to work when you're not ready, you're gonna cause more problems for yourself, uh, potentially make yourself sicker, and then you're gonna end up being off of work even longer. So bad idea. So very simple. Now, if a company is putting pressure on you, you're going to very politely and very respectfully say, I haven't been cleared to come back to work. I'm not ready. And I will let you know when that happens. 
if they let you go at some point, either now or when you're ready to come back to work, that could be a human rights violation. You cannot be let go because you're sick. You cannot be let go because you're on a medical leave, even if it's a long medical leave, okay? So if your employer says, well, unless you come back, I'm letting you go, that is a human rights violation that's illegal. And beyond that, you would get severance either way. Oh. So it makes no sense to try to come back to work before you're ready. That's a recipe for disaster. Follow your doctor's advice. Make sure that you only come back to work when you're ready. If you need accommodation, ask for it, demand it. The company has to accommodate. And if they don't, if they let you go, then there's significant consequences there. They're going to have to pay what they have to pay. Uh, and you deal with that when it happens for now. Your, your obligation, Natalie, anyone else that's out there on a medical leave, your obligation is to get better and do what you need to to make that happen. Your doctor or doctors always hold the trump card in that, in that uh, situation, right? That's right. Uh, the, they have the trump card. They have the final word. If your doctor says you cannot work, then you cannot work and no one can do anything about it. Then anyone that wants to challenge that is going to find that to be an impossible task. More emails want to send one along. We still have time. It is help at employmenthour.com. Phone number otherwise, 1-855-821-5900. Employment Hour continues. This is Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900. Good way to get a hold of Lior and the team. If you want to know what your severance should be, that is a simple calculation. Absolutely free and anonymous. Severancepaycalculator.com. Follow the lead of 550,000 other people who have tried the calculator. Pretty amazing. Help at employmenthour.com, by the way, is where we are getting these emails on the show today. Melissa, next up, says, I just found out that the chiropractor I work for is about to retire and close his practice in six months. Uh, I asked about severance, and he had no idea what I was talking about. I've worked for him as a receptionist for 16 years. Am I owed anything? See this so often, John, with doctors, uh, dentists, chiropractors, uh, family doctors, what have you, uh, where they could be so good and, and so responsible when it comes to their job, the medicine part, but so inexperienced when it comes to the human resources part of yeah. owning a business. Uh, so it's not uncommon. So let, let's address the situation specifically. Of course, she's owed severance. Now, if she received six months notice that the clinic is closing down, in other words, she received six months' notice that she's out of a job. That six months counts towards her severance. Working notice. Absolutely. It's working notice of termination. But after 16 years, she's probably going to be owed north of a year's severance, Could potentially as much as 18 months, depending on her uh, specific circumstances. So, yes, it's going to be a year maybe or 14 or 16 months less the time, the notice right. that she got. But she still gets severance. Now, her employer may be confused. And her employer may think, well, wait a second, I'm a small business owner. I, I have a very small payroll, so I don't have to pay severance. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Big company, small company, uh, small dentist office or multinational corporation with thousands of employees. When it comes to severance, the law is the same. Your entitlements are based on your age, position, and length of employment. So yes, if the doctor is closing down, she's going to be owed severance. Have her give me a call. Call me as soon as possible. Let's make sure that we pursue this before the shop closes down or before the clinic closes down because the doctor can then go and move uh, somewhere warmer and then we'd be maybe uh, having a hard time chasing the doctor. So yeah, not right. a good idea, uh, but you're absolutely out severance. So we got Melissa covered. What should or what could have the employer, in this case the doctor, have done, a chiropractor, leading up to this to protect uh, to protect himself or herself? A couple of things. The first thing, could have given more notice. Right. So if you knew that uh, a year ago that you're retiring, tell the employees, give them notice. So that way when uh, the shop closes down, they would have received sufficient notice of termination and potentially no severance would be owed. But if you're only giving six months notice to a 
your employee, that's just not enough. You're going to have to make up the difference by way of severance. So one thing that the employer could have done is provide more notice. The other thing is at some point, the employer could have had the employee sign an employment agreement uh. that limits their future severance entitlements. If the employer does that, fine. Uh, and then potentially this person would have been owed as little as eight weeks pay. Forget about 14 or 16 months pay. They could have only been owed eight weeks pay. But if the employer didn't give enough notice and the employer did not have the employee sign a proper employment agreement, well, that's on the employer. And now the employer has to pay the severance that the law demands. And there's no way around that. So, I mean, you know, notice really is, is especially in Melissa's case, we assume she's going to continue working. She didn't, uh, she didn't mention her age, but that can be a good thing, really. I mean, you can, you can be looking at six months, give you time to look around for a new gig, right? Yeah, and people say, and I tend to believe that it's easier to find a job when you already have a sure. job. So it may not be a bad thing. And, and if you do give, uh, get notice of termination and you know you have this amount of time to find another job, talk to your employer also about giving you flexibility in terms of going for interviews. Yeah. Because most interviews are probably going to happen kind of during working hours, nine to five. Uh, but yeah, getting notice is not a bad thing. In my experience, unfortunately, uh, most employers that provide notice don't provide enough of it, yep. which means they have to make up the difference by way of severance. It is help at employmenthour.com. We'll get to Jason here. It says, I just received notice that our business has been sold to another company. No one has told me if I still have a job, can I get severance? So it, it does come down to whether or not he has another job and he may not find out until the actual, the sale happens. Mm-hmm. Now, if the new company, the company that bought the business offers him a job, if he takes that job, then he doesn't get severance because he's not out of work. Uh, his seniority is going to carry through to the new company. So at some point, he's going to find out. Uh, either he has a job or he doesn't. If he loses his job as a result of this transaction, if the new company is not hiring him, then of course he's owed severance based on the usual factors, age, position, and length of employment. But that is an analysis that we can only do once we find out or once he finds out about this new job. He's not going to be kept in limbo forever. When he finds out, he should give me a call. Now, if he decides not to accept the job, he may still be owed a severance. We'll have to uh, find out what the reasons are. But the bottom line is if he loses his job, if he now doesn't have any work anymore because the company sold the business, he's owed severance. New company, old company, who pays for it? Severance, in the situation where you lose a job as a result of a sale, it's always the old company that pays it. The company's selling the business. Why? Because if you, you never actually work for the new company. Right. Right? They, Makes sense. If they've never taken you on, you've never become their employee. So the company that has to pay you severance is your employer, which is the company that sold the business. If he just wants to, you know, this is a good time for me to springboard into a new career, is that a good enough excuse to get his full severance, or it's got to be a little deeper than that, like they move the company 300 kilometers? So if the company offers him a job, the new company, the company right. buying the business, and he decides not to accept it, the question is why? If he has a good reason as to why he didn't accept, maybe they relocated the job or paid him less, then he gets his full severance. If he doesn't have a good reason, maybe he just decides to go back to school and spend more time with the family, then because there's no good reason, he still gets severance, but he's only going to get his minimum entitlements, not his full entitlements. But you still get severance even in that scenario, John. Good for another week, my friend. You want to reach out to Leo anytime. The email that we've been using, of course, help at employmenthour.com. Phone number works too, 1-855-821-5900. And always, always, always in any situation for yourself, friends, family, if you're wondering what your severance should be or even just for curiosity's sake, severancepaycalculator.com. Over 550,000 people have used it, uh, enjoyed it, had their uh, their eyes opened up. It's absolutely free. It takes about 30 seconds to use that, so check it out. Uh, whenever you, you got a few moments, like 30 seconds, that's all it takes. Till next time, Employment Hour, right here on Global News Radio.